Hi, this is Jason Lead, pastor of Casper Alliance Church. Thanks for stopping by our weekly teaching podcast. This is the beginning of our fall series. We're going to be going through the book of Acts. This has been like the year of biblical literacy. We've hit some different threads. This is one of the last threads we're going to do. Uh, the church, the beginning of the church, the proliferation of the church, and uh, how we kind of fit into that as the 21st century church. Hope you enjoy. This will be uh, the beginning of, I think, 10 to 12 weeks working through as an overview on the book of Acts. Have a great week. Thanks. All right, let me give you a, a quick, before I get into Acts, something that came to me while we were singing the It Is Well songs. There's a difference between contentment and complacency. It Is Well does not mean you sit and take it on the chin. Many times I think we sing that and we just kind of rest and go, okay, whatever happens to me, happens to me. And that's not um, what that, what the hymn and even that worship song is saying. Through it all, regardless of my circumstance, I will fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfect my faith. Contentment and complacency sometimes feel like the same thing. They're not. Being content means you can get smacked around and you trust that the Lord's hand is still on you, complacency looks more like giving up. And I I don't want us to ever be in the place as people, as God's people, as this church to feel complacent and um, to give up. That there's a fighting back that God's people are called to do and specifically our church. Uh, our vision statement says that we're fighting forward together through hope in Jesus Christ. And those, those need to be not just catchphrases or things we put on bulletins or cards that we pass out or on the website. Those have to be, that has to be true words that ring inside of our soul that causes action, causes us to move in a certain way, to believe in a certain way, to think in a certain way, to, to be attentive to one another in a certain way, to be mindful of each other's lives and what's going on so that we can stand up and, and link arms with people around us to fight. I, I'm looking, I know right now there are multiple people who are ill. And, and just, we need to rally, rally around them. And that's, some of that's cold, some of that's more significant things happening. And so I don't ever want us to be complacent. We can be content and we can, be, uh, we can rest, but when we become complacent, I don't, we're not settling. I'm not a settling type of person, so we'll keep fighting. That's before I get started with the other stuff. Um, thank you. (laughs) I agree with what I just said. So (laughs) amen to me also. (laughs) Uh, we're going to spend this fall looking through the book of Acts. We're going to do a, uh, high overview of Acts. Uh, we're not going to get in verse by verse by verse by verse. We're going to take it chapters and chunks. I think it's like 13 weeks. We're going to spend time. So I would encourage you to, um, to follow along, uh, add it to your devotional time, just to continue to keep up in Acts. There'll be chapters that we will reference but not actually dig into. Um, and so Acts is a, is, is a beautiful story. It has one theme, and that's it. And that's to witness. And the witness is the church. That's it. When you understand that piece, the details of it um, are, are a description of that witness. 
all the way through the stories, the missionary journeys, the organization of the church, the, the, the pouring out of the spirit, all of the different miracles, the things that happen through Acts uh, are a, a reflection or a substantiation or a testimony, a witness to the work of God's people, the church. This is the organization of the church. So in this year of biblical literacy, this is one of the threads that, we, that I thought of a long time ago that we need to talk about the church and spend some time uh, looking at what the church is. And, and we won't go probably to the nitty gritty, but, but part of what happens in the fall here at the church is that we do business stuff. And so it's good to have our brains thinking about church life while we do budgets and elections and organ leader organization. And we, so this is a church series. Uh, we'll probably spend some time in the next few weeks talking about the vision and the values of Casper Alliance Church. We'll, I'm going to maybe plant a seed today. At some point, I have a whiteboard in my office that i got to put together. We will, we will stop during church, and we will do an out loud conversation and, uh, about church, and we're going to write it on the whiteboard so it stays up here as a reminder of what we believe and what we want our church to be. And I'm gonna, I'll talk about that here at the end today. But this is about the church the organization and the, the advancement of the church and God's kingdom and God using the church. So that, put this in your brain. The church is the ordained vehicle that God created, designed, put together to carry out his mission and purposes. That's, that's what you're a part of. So when you show up to a church, it doesn't matter the denomination. It doesn't matter the location. The purpose of that group of people is to have a unique expression to where in which they live or occupy or worship to carry out the mission, vision, and values of God. Now, let's go to the mission, vision, and values of God real quick. Uh, I was going to do Luke, but let's... Let's just go to the easy one. Let's go to Matthew. Turn to Matthew 28. The end of Matthew chapter 28. We're going to pick it up at verse 16. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and, sure, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of age. All right, turn with me to Luke chapter 24 now. So that's the, that's the, the, the commission of Jesus. So Jesus is giving his, his guys, his team, the, the crowd, the hundred and so people, he's giving them a task. Here's your job. Go make disciples of all nations. This is your, this is your duty. This is what you're supposed to do now. All right, now we're going to go to Luke 24. And the reason we're going to attach Luke is because when we get into Acts, which Zach read for us uh, so well, and I appreciate it, is, is the story of Acts is, is clearly stated in the first few verses. So I'm going to repeat what Zach's already read for us in just a second. But let's get a, let's get a little bit of capture of what Luke is doing before he goes into this, the story of the church. So verse 35 
So this is Jesus, after Jesus has already been raised from the dead, he's been around a little bit. Now he's on the road to Emmaus with these couple of dudes. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about, about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Now, let's stop there for just a second. Um, there has been multiple times, so we, we have two children, uh, we talk about, I talk about them a lot. There have been multiple times when they were little ones to where uh, I would turn around and they would just be there. Like standing right behind, like, like, a, like a tail all of a sudden. But they weren't there literally 10 seconds ago. But they, all of a sudden, they're just there. And you're like, how did you move from this part of the house to that part of the house without making noise, without falling down, without screaming, without breaking something to stand so silently like a ninja right behind me? And, and you, like, there's this moment where that's happened more, enough to, more and more times where you're like, I think this person's practicing figuring out how to assassinate me. And I, I felt that multiple times when they were little. Now, now when they're, they're just bigger, they have bigger feet, you can hear them coming. And there's a reason I think hardwood floors exist is so you can hear people coming. It, and, and there were so many times where that happened. People just kind of appear out of thin air sometimes. But when it happens, it totally startles you. you it freaks you out. Your heart, you're like, <gasps> and you kind of panic for a second and say, how did you get here? Well, this is, <laughs> I mean, they saw Jesus on the cross, and now he's just there. A little while. Let's go on with what's happening. Jesus says, why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Now, this is where it gets really interesting to me, and I'm going to give somebody in this room an assignment, maybe a couple of you, and you can work on it and then report back to me. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, disgusting, and he ate it, and they watched. Now, here's the deal. Some, this is an assignment for you Bible scholars. Do resurrected people need to eat? I have a theory, but I want some of you, someone to go out there and figure out, because I'm not going to spend time doing it. Maybe I should, but there's, there's better, better things to do, like, you know, take out. No, no, I'm saying I think, so here's my theory. I'll just tell you my theory, and then somebody can disprove it. Jesus was doubling down on the freaking out moment of his disciples and showing them that he's real by eating something. It's very practical. I'm going to show you that I'm going to eat something right now so you can see that I'm real. Now, do you, so here's the question. When we get to heaven and we're resurrected, do you, do, are we going to eat? So what's the marriage supper of the lamb? I'm, I'm, putting a, I'm putting a string out there. Will there be good food and good drink in heaven? Do, are we required to eat or is it just for like our calories non-existent? This is your assignment. You go figure that out and then report back to me and I will give you a report and I'll say it from up front. But I think my theory is, is Jesus was, it is a trick. No, it's not. There's got to be an answer. Maybe we can't prove it till we're done, but. Um, with life until we really know ourselves. 
But I think Jesus is eating to show them that he's real and that you can, it's, I'm not, I'm not pretend. You saw this broiled fish go into my gullet and I ate it. Then he said, and here's the, here's the meat of what I want you guys to catch from this, not the sub stuff, but the, the, the importance of what Luke is starting to do when he goes in to tell his story of the church. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said, yes, it is written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It is also written that this message will be proclaimed in the in authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. Now that's the word. You are witnesses of all of these things. And now I send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Now let's flip over to Acts. So Jesus is telling them what to do. He, ought, he said, go, this is my commission. Go make disciples of all nations. Here's the next tactical thing I want you to do. I want you to wait until the spirit, my spirit that I've already talked about, comes and then you'll be, have power to be my witnesses. Now, I want us to go to Acts. I'm just going to read the first part again, and then we're going to hit eight. But this is what Luke is doing, and he clearly states what he's doing as he writes the rest of this book. It's volume two of, of Luke's writings. First we have Luke, and now we have volume two, Acts. Acts chapter one, verse one. In my first book, I told Theophilus about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven and given his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift. He promised, as I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the guys went up to the upper room. How many days, mathematicians, do you think they were in the upper room? Seven? Eight? Is it provable? Let's, how many days did, okay, let's do it. How many days did Jesus appear with his disciples? Forty. How many days after Jesus was resurrected did the Holy Spirit come? 50. 50 minus 40 equals 10. Let's just speculate that there could be somewhere between 6 and 10 days that the fellas hung out and waited. They're, they just waited. And because Jesus said, this is a tactical thing that I want you to do. I want you to wait until the Spirit of God comes. Now let's go down um, to verse 7. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set the dates because they asked the question, are you going to establish your kingdom? To set the dates and times, and they are not for you to know. He dismisses them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was launched. 
We oftentimes read Acts like a biography, like it's a historical account, and in some ways it, it can read that way. But really, Acts is about mission and about the mission of the church. This is the establishment of the church. The, the thing that we're currently sitting in, this little group of people that we've collected. How many of you have gone to more than five different churches and called five different churches your church home? Does that make sense what I just asked you? Five different churches, your church home. Now, I've worked in three different churches. So I've been a leader in three different churches. I grew up in one church, and when we lived in Minnesota, we could never find a church that was like the perfect church. But we went to a, a Lutheran church called St. Michael's that we really enjoyed quite a bit. So I would say, but we weren't hyper-involved because we knew we were moving. I say I've been involved in four churches where I've been active, and I've cared about the ministry, and I cared about its mission and its values and its ministry in the community, but, but I can honestly say this, regardless of the language that the church used or even the subtle differences in the theology, the same mission did apply. We want to reach people for Jesus. We want to disciple them, help them grow up in the Lord. And that is the markings of a community of people who are believing and trusting that the mission that God has put on them through the words of Christ is real. When we want to go out and make disciples of all nations and we're, we're really concerned about helping them grow in the faith, that's the mission. And it can be expressed in different ways. We have our unique expression. And this is why I don't think it's a problem to have 80 churches. I think we need 80 healthy churches in Casper. But each of us have a unique kind of way in which we want to do church. And, as, and you start to visit. Have you ever visited a church where you're like, you know, the people were rude. I, I'll never forget this. I, I think Albert, I'm going to, we never, we didn't talk about it. I, but Albert, Albert, uh, when they were scouting, if we're going to scouting Wyoming. So they, they lived in a pagan world before and they, they, they decided to move here to an, to another pagan location. Let's be honest. We're just not as we don't tax pagan life, right? We don't, we don't tax the pagans. But, but here's the deal. He's, as he, was, he visited, what, three or four churches one Sunday morning? I was at a church that Sunday morning, and you showed up here. So his testimony, his witness to experience it, and this is not a criticism. We're not going to name the names. They have some growth in life they need to come up with. I don't even know. We could go help them. But... But Albert visited a church when they were scouting out locations. There's one church that said nothing to him. He showed up. Then he's like, same day, I'm going to check out a different church. And that day, Lord bless her, pastor's wife, shows up, greets Albert and says, hi, introduces herself because we work on it at home. We practice it. We, we role play with one. I'm just kidding. That never happened. That has not happened one time. one time. But here's the deal. This church, I think anybody who's visited this church in the last 20 years would say, Casper Alliance Church does something really well. They welcome visitors. They make visitors feel at home. And that's the experience that you guys, that you had. And you're like, I'm going to go back. And then as you keep going back, you're like, okay, I kind of dig it. I might not like all the people in the building, but I dig it. And I can figure it out. And I'm involved. And I, I can handle it. And I love it. And okay, now I understand. And then I get to influence 
influence, begin to influence the vision, mission, and values of the church or give my flavor or, you know, my perspective or add to it. Now, I'm using you just because it's easy. Albert has not tried to change the language of the church. He has brought his personality. And Leslie, they brought their personality and they've just added it to what we're already doing. They found a home and a place here. And many of us have that same story. We're not all hired to be here like one of us, one family. But the rest of you have found space and reason to be here. And that's true, I believe, of all of the churches in town. And they need to have that sort of influence and effect on people. Because here's the stat that I just heard. Wyoming is the second, second least evangelized or Christian state in the nation per capita. There are, and so I've talked about this from the front. If you say there's 55, 60,000 people in Natrona County, there might be 5,000 to 5,500 that are attending a church on a Sunday morning. What are the 45,000 other people doing? Golfing? We do have four golf courses, so it's possible. But they're not even restaurants open. They're, what are they, they're, so my point is, there's potential, there's opportunity, there's a lot. We could have 100 churches of of 300 people here easily. Not to mention the big churches that do ministries that none of our small churches will ever be able to do. The point, each church has a unique vision, perspective, and mission and for their community, for their location, for their neighborhood. And we need to embrace that and know that. So as we look at this and we, and we see that, okay, we have this, this thing that we're supposed to do. Now, I'm going to get into that in just a second. But the, the word is just witness. Now, here's the deal. Acts. Let's give a little bit of, little bit of uh, just quick overview background. As Luke is writing this, and you read it, and you inspect the language and the words, and, and the way it's kind of built, it, is, it is, reads as a defense of Paul's ministry. There's lots of discussion of when, when it was written, what time frame it was written, and, and history tells us that, Paul was executed. It doesn't end with his execution, but it does speak favorably all the way through of many Roman leaders and their experience. It is, and if you, if you just start to put it together, the culture of the day, first century church, uh, Jesus' ascension to 100 AD, they're excited. There is, there is this sense that this Jesus movement, this group of Jesus people are rabble rousers. They're, they're, they want to start things. They want to, they, they are the, the Antifa of the day. They are out there causing riots and disturbances. That's the thought. That's like, that's culturally the thought. And as Luke is writing this, he's writing against that. He's showing the exact opposite of that. He is showing the work and the love and the care and the defense of the church because that's what's being established here. So these first few chapters are the establishment, the building of the church. Then you see the explosion and the, and the expansion of the church and as we go through it. But this is what's happening. So you, as you go through it, as you inspect, as you read, take note of that. Luke is writing favorably for lots of Roman leaders. He's, he's showing them that this group of Christians, the beginning of Christianity, are good, loving, caring, community-oriented people. And he's writing in a way to where anyone could grab it and go, oh, this is the story of the Christian? I get it. This is why there's such emphasis placed on, on the conversion of Saul. It's important. 
Okay. Witness. That's what this is all about. Let's watch this video. You ready, Davian? You just hit the video. This is what the this is the entire book of Acts. This is what we should walk away with. Bible project video on a word study witness. Let's watch together. When you hear the word witness, you might think of someone who sees something shocking or important and then shares their testimony with others. The word witness is used like this in the Bible too, but here's what's really fascinating. This word actually helps us understand the entire storyline of scripture. In the Bible, a witness is basically someone who sees something important or amazing. In Hebrew, this person is an aide, and in Greek, a martus. And if this person begins to share what they've seen, we call this bearing witness, in Hebrew, ud, and in Greek, martyreo. So in the story of Ruth, when Boaz buys land from Naomi's family, he calls together witnesses to see the transaction, so that if there's a later dispute about the land, they can bear witness about what they saw. So that's the basic meaning of the word witness. Now, if we follow this idea throughout the Bible, we learn that God wants a group of witnesses, people who see and experience him to ood or represent him to the world. So beginning with the story of the Exodus, the people of Israel witness Yahweh as the powerful king of the nations when he rescues them from slavery. Then he appoints this one nation to bear witness or ood to the rest of the nations about what they experienced. He calls them a kingdom of priests or people who connect all other nations to Yahweh, the true God and king. But there's a big problem. The Israelites aren't good witnesses. In fact, they start worshiping other gods. So God raises up a chief witness, Moses, to ood or bear witness to the people who are supposed to be the real witnesses. When Moses meets with Yahweh on Mount Sinai, he sees and experiences God face to face. When he comes down, he ooods, he bears witness to the people about his experience. He even writes a song as a witness so that they would never forget how God has cared for and rescued them. But as the story goes on, Israel does forget. They fail to truly see God, so they fail as his witnesses. So God raises up prophets who are like Moses to ood, to open their eyes to who their God really is. Like Isaiah, he has a vision of God as the cosmic king, and he's sent to ood to bear witness to the Israel of his day because they're blind, they're corrupt, and they don't recognize God as their king. So Isaiah says that one day, God will raise up the ultimate chief witness, a figure called the servant. He will open the eyes of the blind so that they can truly see Yahweh and bear witness to the nations that their God is the king who will rescue the world. And now, when we turn to the story of Jesus, we find him claiming to be that servant and witness spoken of by Isaiah. He's the ultimate witness, or in Greek, the martus. Crowds of people witness him saying that he's bringing God's kingdom, that it's here, right now, through him. They see Jesus healing people, even restoring sight to the blind. Many recognize who he is and respond to his message, but many others still refuse to truly see. Even the nation's leaders won't listen to him. Rather, they kill Jesus for bearing witness to God's kingdom, that is, for being a martus. In fact, this is where the word martyr comes from. But then, after Jesus' death, something amazing happens. Jesus' friends see him alive from the dead, and they recognize that he is the divine king, Yahweh himself, who has come to rescue the world. After that, Jesus sends them out to martyreo, that is, to bear witness to the nations, to open their eyes to this risen king who has conquered death and who offers freedom and rescue and the hope of a new creation. 
And it's this story about Jesus that's been spread all around the world by faithful witnesses. And to this day, when someone hears the story of Jesus and experiences the love of God for all humanity, the most natural thing to do is to simply bear witness. That's the mission of, of Luke is to, to give a witness, a story, the story of the beginning of the church. That's our job. So here, here's a series of questions that we're going to continue to explore over the next few weeks, right? Um, remember, the church is the vehicle that God has designed, ordained, empowered, created to advance his kingdom. Now, here's the questions. So we need to ask these regularly of ourselves and, of, uh, and, and globally. The church is supposed to be What? We need, we're not going to answer it right now. We're just going to, we're going to spend time talking through that for multiple weeks. The church should be what? So we, maybe that's a, uh, a juxtaposition of what we are or what we should be. How many of you have been to a church where it's like, ooh, they're missing the mark or they're emphasizing everything that doesn't matter? The church is what or the church should be what? We're going to wrestle with that. Now then I think we also need to be reflective. What are we doing as a church, what should we be doing as a church? It's, it's okay to be honest about that and to just talk about it and figure that out. We're going to explore all of that. So our, the main idea here is how do God and his spirit want us in our little corner of Casper to advance his kingdom right here? What is God wanting us to do? What is God asking us to do? What is God empowering us to do? See, Jesus gave the mission, go make disciples of all nations. He gave the power source. The Holy Spirit will come next week. Chris is going to teach on that. The Holy Spirit came to empower to be a witness. And it's not just globally. It's not just to the ends of the earth. It's for us here now, today, in this space right here where we're at. So here's the deal. How many of you... uh, how many, how many of you scroll? You may scroll Facebook, scroll the news, scroll life. Never, liars. I'm, just, I'm going to read Fox News scroll to you. The, the, I'm just going to read the headlines. Progress wiped out. Afghanistan, Afghanistan rolls back human rights after Biden's botched withdrawal puts Taliban back in power. Worried Warren, Dem Senator, raises concern about Fed's plan to tame inflation. Libs are sealed. White House silent on key question on Biden's $500 billion student loan handout. DNC advisor insists Biden has authority for $500 billion student loan handout despite past Pelosi claim. Judge reveals intent to grant Trump's request after Mar-a-Lago. On and on. I mean, it's going to get more fun here in a second. I'm not even going to read it. If you scroll, now if you scroll Facebook or you scroll Instagram, you're viewing and feeling a certain sort of way as you read and look at these particular things, right? These are a witness to culture. This is what's happening in culture. What, here's the question, what happens when someone scrolls your life and looks and inspects what you are doing and sees you? Yikes. What do they see? Are you bearing witness to who Jesus is in your life? That's the hard thing we all have to struggle with daily. Is your language, is your heart, is your thought life, is all of those things reflecting the work that Christ has done in you? Are you bearing witness? Is your attitude 
And even the way in which you carry yourself at your job or at home or how you walk around town. (laughs) Yeah, the way you drive. What are they witnessing when they see you? Now, here's, here's, I think, the, the beautiful thing is we believe in a redemptive work of Jesus. And when the collective of people are following Jesus and we witness about him together and our lives are reflective, it's way strong. It's way beautiful. And people see that. They experience that. That's why I believe every time somebody walks in this place, they see a group of people who genuinely care for others. That's a thing that we have. But here's the deal. My family has lived in the concrete jungle. We've lived in farmland. And we've lived in the mountains. I remember when uh, it was four years ago this weekend when we drove to church to candidate and the smoke had cleared and my two boys and Adrienne saw the mountains and were like, saw Casper Mountain and were like, oh, you see that? That's incredible. And all, everybody's like, Casper Mountains. <laughs> I remember the first time we after that first summer when we started to explore Wyoming. And we, you come, you, everybody knows this, you go to Dubois, Dubois, you come down that road, and all of a sudden the Tetons appear. And you're like, oh, that's incredible. Or you're sitting around having ice cream, and Old Faithful goes, and you're like, oh, that's incredible. I, my kids don't even notice the mountain anymore. I remember the last time we went to Yellowstone, we were like, do we have to go to Old Faithful? We've seen it like 52 times now at this point. We've only lived here for four years. Do we have to go? It becomes commonplace when you see it every day. And it never marvels you anymore. It becomes a normal thing in your life so where you don't even pay attention to it. It's just just part of your life. Do not let the Spirit of God become commonplace in your life. It's power to shape and transform and call you out to be a witness becomes commonplace in the church. You walk into a church where it's common to sing four hymns and have the guy give a liturgy for 22 minutes and you're done and that becomes normal and you feel like the church is dead. It's because not the church is dead, but everybody in the room has made it normal that Jesus is active and the spirit of God is empowering them and it's become commonplace. So they don't even acknowledge it anymore. It's like two little boys who drive to school every day and there's a mountain right by them and they grew up without mountains and they don't even notice it. They can't see it. It's just like, it's this hill on the horizon. It's where we do family camp. It's not a thing anymore to them. You need to marvel every day that the Spirit of God is empowering you. Do not become complacent with its power, the Spirit's power in your life. It cannot be normal daily. It cannot be just like a thing that happens. Like, ah, oh, the Spirit of God empowered me. So it's like eating a sandwich. You ever get to the end of the week, you're like, I had seven sandwiches this week. I'm kind of tired of sandwiches. So you break your eating out budget and go to fuzzies. 
That was a testimony to Caleb right there. I just gave an out loud example of his life. But that happens. You just, things become commonplace and you just don't care anymore or you don't think about it anymore. And it just, it becomes run of the mill. And I, I believe this with all my heart. No church deserves to die because it's filled with God's people. And seven of God's people, eight, well, 11 of God's people empowered by the spirit of God launched the entirety of this church thing that we do. So I think 11 people sitting in a room, worshiping, looking at the word, inspecting the word, having the spirit of God transform them can change little old Casper. We can't let the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives become run of the mill. It's every day and it's crazy. We're gonna end with that. Let me pray for you and have a great Sunday. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of your church. Lord, help us to find our place in it, to continue to find our place in it. That we, um, we are a church that uh, is empowered by you. Lord, we have ideas and we want to be creative and we want to be effective, but Lord, we want to be empowered by you to do what you have called us to do. Lord, even I pray right now that you would help us find churches in this town that maybe we can come alongside of. Not to take over, but to inspire, to, to, to push, to spur along. Lord, I want, I would love to see Oh, I would love to see 100, 400 people churches in this town and then one church of 4,000. <laughs> Lord, that you would grow your kingdom so much here because we're so tuned in to your calling. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Hey, have a great Sunday afternoon. Say hi to each other on the way out. Don't forget your children.